good coffee, David Blackmon. And <laughs> oh, I don't have my mug with me. <laughs> yeah, Irene is almost I'm receiving. waiting for mine. <laughs> good. This is the episode number 39 of the Energy Transition Series. Our topic today is world organizations and the energy. The point is the following. We have several uh, different um, uh, organizations, institutions. World Economic Forum, uh, BRICS, G7, G20, I don't have enough fingers, <laughs> uh, International Energy Agency, International <laughs> Renewable Energy Agency, United Nations, of course, uh, European Commission, and other. But Irina, please, do they think the same about energy, these different uh, organizations? Uh, well, the International Energy Agency could easily become uh, a division of the International Renewable Energy Agency these days because, uh, you know, its official statements are totally pro-renewable energy and that's the only way forward uh, and so on and so forth. But in fairness, uh, it needs to be said that the the oil markets reports that the International Energy Agency releases are uh, a lot more measured. Uh, I mean, they do uh, talk about oil demand and oil supply and that we still need oil. Uh, and sometimes demand uh, is expected to grow. Sometimes they revise that downwards. Uh, in these reports, they do uh, their job. Uh, although, of course, uh, the head of the uh, agency never misses an opportunity to talk about renewables and how they are the only way forward. Uh, as for G7 and BRICS, that's a lot more complicated. They are uh, a much, um, how should I put it, broader uh, organizations and a lot more political uh, as well and trade oriented. And they are basically at odds right now even if uh, neither side is uh, admitting it openly. But uh, G7 is imposing a cap on Russian oil and uh, BRICS uh, uh, member, uh, China and BRICS member India are the biggest buyers of Russian oil. So that goes, you know, they're, uh, they're against each other uh, in this, even though uh, I don't know if, you, if you've seen the latest statements by U.S. Treasury Secretary uh, Janet Yellen. It has been fascinating, if a little bit embarrassing, to be honest, uh, even to me. Uh, Look <laughs> how embarrassing it is for me. <laughs> oh, I, I feel for As you, David, really, really. What a time to, to be alive, yeah. Uh, she, she went from trying to get them on board with the price cap to, to saying it's perfectly fine if they continue buying Russian oil. <laughs> Uh, as long as they don't use uh, Western insurance and, uh, you know, shipping services, financial services. And I remember, David, someone commenting on uh, your tweet about it, saying how, how gracious, how generous uh, of the U.S. <laughs> to allow uh, sovereign nations to, uh, you know, to, to do what right. their interests uh, dictate. So the, the, the circus. Uh, this thing. And, and let's not forget when we talk about G7 that actually all uh, G7 members uh, have a ban on Russian oil imports in place already or uh, the EU embargo that's coming up. And Japan is exempted because it can't survive without Russian right. oil. Right. Uh, yeah. In the meantime, BRICS is growing, but that's a whole other uh, huge uh, 
topic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, David, and it's, uh, let me add something before you, you make your comment. Because uh, NATO is more military, more more focused on, on defense. Yeah. And, and right. it's different from, as Irina said, uh, commercial or trade or political that those ones uh, we mentioned before. What, what do you see in this topic, uh, David? Yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, NATO, uh, it, you're right, is a military pact and... Uh, I mean, even though our Pentagon, you know, uh, constantly virtue signals about moving to uh, biofuels and and somehow removing moving to renewable energy on military bases, uh, really its focus is different than these political organizations. I yes, I was really embarrassed by Secretary Yellen's uh, remarks on Friday, in which she, as Arena points out, basically gave permission to India. Uh, a country with four times the population of the United States, by the way, uh, to continue purchasing Russian crude and said it would be, that would be fine. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, and of course it, 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 it goes to the, the really silliness of the whole price cap concept, because what at the base uh, the G7 is really doing here to a large extent is capitalizing and trying to take credit for the fact that India and China have already been buying Russian oil at severely discounted prices since Russia invaded Ukraine. And, and, and so they've already, those two countries, because they have become crisis buyers for Russia uh, as it seeks other markets than outside the EU and the United States, um, it, it, it's just, it's, it's such a cynical thing that they're doing to begin with and then to spend all this time pontificating about it and how effective it's going to be when in reality, it is simply the process in the market that is determining a lower price for most Russian crude on the market today. And, and it's, it's, it's all such, um, an embarrassment. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, the United States uh, has been, I think, the worst actor, frankly, in terms of just uh, uh, unbridled arrogance in dealing with other countries. Although uh, I think you'd have to admit Great Britain uh, <coughs> has <laughs> has a, a long history of this the same kind of thing. Same. And and the U.S. imperialism has not been quite as overt as that of, of Great Britain and, and Portugal and France and Spain and on and on and on. By the way, your post was perfect in this uh, sense. You you mentioned all <laughs> things you. your post. Fantastic. Yeah, it was uh, my my absurdity of the day for Sunday. I, I just it's 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 awful and and. It's the same kind of arrogance that uh, when we talk about the, the BRICS and, and all these alliances that is pushing Saudi Arabia increasingly into a, a posture of wanting to join the BRICS alliance. Mm -hmm. and, and when that happens, the BRICS alliance is going to become the global power, uh, at probably as big a global power where, where oil markets are concerned as OPEC has been for all these years, because the BRICS Alliance will not just be an organization of oil suppliers, including the second biggest oil supplier, the second and third largest oil supplier on earth in Saudi Arabia and Russia, 
but also the biggest customers for exporting yeah. crude oil. Half which, population of the world, yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. so when when that happens, and I fully anticipate it will, the BRICS alliance is really going to be in, in terms of petroleum trade relations globally, a far more powerful organization than either the G7 or the G20. And it's going to shift uh, a lot of geopolitical dynamics globally. And it's part of when you when you really look at, at recent books, uh, the, the, the new map by Dan Jurgen and the end of the world is just beginning by, oh, my gosh, I'm going to forget his name. Um, oh, such a great book. Anyway, several recent books have um, Peter. Zihan? Yes, Zihan. Um, uh, great books, great books, and have foreseen a lot of these these global geopolitical developments. So I, I recommend uh, everyone to read both of those books. You will be far more highly informed for doing so. And um, it, where the IEA is concerned, um, I, I totally agree with y'all's uh, assessment that that is just another political organization for the most part. They do produce some good data still although it's always couched in in the narratives and hyperbole of climate alarmism. And and it makes me grateful, frankly, when I I see Fatih Birol and the IEA uh, engaging in all these political activities, makes me actually very grateful for the people at the U.S. Energy Information Administration who have somehow, and it's hard for me to imagine how, uh, so far avoided being politically corrupted uh, by politics in the United States. I mean, Jennifer Granholm is the Secretary of Energy, and she's very political. Um, but but still, the Energy Information Agency itself, which reports in through the Energy Department, has has remained a very um, steady and consistent uh, reporter of real energy related data, not just related to the United States, but globally. And I think that the destruction, the political corruption of the IEA has really helped to make the EIA the, the most authoritative energy information source on earth right now. And so I'm, I'm really grateful to all the people there for avoiding being, becoming a, uh, you know, a politically corrupt organization. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of ours is, is asking to post the names of those books, maybe on, sure. on the LinkedIn uh, post after we, we publish. Yeah. It. But again, for everyone watching, it's it's The New Map by Daniel Jurgen. You can find it at Amazon. And The End of the World is Just Beginning by Peter Zihan, Z-E-I-H-A-N. But we, yeah, we'll post them. Yeah, sure. And uh, I, I'm not sure it's the same user, uh, LinkedIn user, but he is asking about uh, Biden administration. <laughs> the Biden administration does not believe in borders or sovereign nations. And I, market. I, it, yeah, there and, and free that, markets. Yeah. And that's not just the Biden administration. That's that's really globalism. I mean, that's the, yeah. the leftist political movement in the Western world generally. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's what you see with all the open borders and the mass uh, migration and no effort. Really, Germany was really the the first country to really open up its borders to mass immigration. And, and a lot of it has to do with 
and I don't want to get off on this tangent too much, but you know, a lot of it has to do with too low birth rates in the in the developed world. And and you can't maintain these economies without adequate workforces. And so one of the philosophies underlying the open borders is well, we have to have more workers to power our, our economies as our native populations diminish. And that's that's been a big driver of this. Yeah, yeah but now they don't have to power those economies, right. you know. Actually, yeah. I just, just read that uh, Chancellor Schultz is saying that we could probably close uh, some plants, uh, you know, sure, industrial yeah. plants, so we <laughs> save on gas. So, you know. Yeah, right. right. Morning, Stu. Stu, uh, Stuart, thank you for coming, Stuart. <laughs> well, hey, Stu, where's your question? Good morning to you too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is a point from Grand Final, David. Please, I ah, always oh, for me, probably it's, Lula yeah, is committed to the state running Petrobras and effectuating oil price controls. That's right, by disconnecting from the global markets. I agree totally with you. Won't that um, harm Brazil economic standing? Yes, yes. My my answer is only yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And uh, I mean, to the extent you pull back from the global open markets, uh, the less influential you're going to be in these global alliances. And that's a pity for yeah. a country that was so good in the last. Uh, so it's a pity. Does he want to reduce exports and use more uh, crude oil locally? Yep. But the point is that we produce three million barrels a day, mm -hmm. and the internal consumption is around two million something. So we, we can export and we, we were exporting uh, 1 million barrels a day for more than six months to China. But with this mm -hmm. confusion, new confusion that we have in the world, so China is uh, preferring uh, buy from 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 Something Russia like and some other. So yeah. Brazil is looking for different clients nowadays. So and we are losing. A lot of opportunities. Well, it can export yeah. to Europe. I mean, Europe's looking for yeah, supplies, even sure. if it's, uh, if it's but more expensive. But Brazil you know, is being rejected by the US and the EU. Right. Oh, that's very smart. It's I mean, clear. why yeah. don't you just reject another big oil supplier? <laughs> I mean, there's so many of them. Let's reject them all. That's a good point. Really yeah. good. And of course, the other problem is going to be as he nationalizes Petrobras, if he succeeds in doing that, then you're going to have a hard time attracting new investment yeah. in in you know maintaining the pace of production and and ultimately you won't be able to export yeah you sure david but it takes yeah. time and it it's takes not time, so easy yeah. because we are not a big country in terms of trade uh, right. proportion so uh, right. do you think uh, lula could go the way of uh, uh lopez Obrador in mexico he kicked out all foreign oil companies and as David said, you know, put the national company in charge. Yeah, yeah, that's difficult to say. But the last two mandates from Lula, that nothing of this happened. So that's was good. A, that, yeah, that yeah. So it's a good, good news for us. Mm -hmm. But you can expect. We don't know exactly what can come yeah. in January. Mm. Yeah, you you ask it to uh, uh, Stuart, and, and uh, he is asking something. If it's not, Stu, what sure about Biden wanting India to cut ties with Russia? Is he being a bully? Well, sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, and India isn't going to cut ties from Russia because India is again, as we talked about earlier, is is able to buy crude oil to power its economy at highly discounted prices from Russia, and uh, 
I mean, why would India's they? Actually, yeah, India is actually expanding ties with Russia. Uh, yeah. and what uh, a lot of people in political circles in the West seem to be forgetting is that Russia and India have a long-standing relationship. This is not something new. Right. They have a very, very long-standing relationship, and it's only uh, uh, getting closer. Yes, Biden is being a bully. His whole administration is yeah. being a bully. A kindergarten bully, which is worse. Yeah. Uh, and not the, very intelligent bully. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's it, kindergarten style of behavior and everything. Irina, curiosity, for, uh, I, I would like to, to have your opinion about this because these institutions, organizations are more focused on trade and commercial and the energy transition instead of the energy security. That should be something very important for the institution to, to make the world more secure. What do you see in this? Uh, uh, you mean all organizations or? Are more focused on, 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 on energy well, transition they... and yes, instead yes. of the energy Some security. of them are still uh, needlessly focused on the energy transition. But to be fair, the European Union has uh, realized that energy security is also quite important, uh, especially at this time of the year. And they're trying to enhance energy security, but uh, now the warnings are beginning to come in uh, for next year and the year after that. Because however the situation in, in the Ukraine develops, uh, they won't uh, you know, lift sanctions from Russia. Uh, and uh, Russian gas flows are not returning. So they're building LNG import terminals. Uh, prices uh, are keeping high. Uh, I just saw that uh, Pakistan has no uh, sellers whatsoever uh, for its uh, latest LNG tenders, which is really a serious pro problem. But yeah. Europe will begin having problems too next year. It will have to fill its storage for the winter of 2023, and there will not be enough gas. So energy security is already compromised for at least a couple of years uh, more, regardless of how much uh, US producers can produce and all the other producers, Qatar and, and African countries. But at least they are, uh, you know, waking up to the fact, politicians, I mean, are waking up to the fact that energy security uh, takes priority right now. And they are, uh, they are uh, admitting as much. They are saying that for now we will prioritize energy security. But they are managing to um, include the transition argument as well. The only way to be really secure in our energy supply is to go renewable. All right. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's not good. If you put it like this, that's not good. And Mr. Birol seems to think if he just says that often enough, it, it will be real, right? Yeah, I mean, he's it's not really just the him. worst offender. Yeah. But it's not just him, Ursula, Ursula von der Leyen. Yeah, she's know, as bad as he is. Yeah. Uh, uh, the guy in, uh, I mean, France, Germany, all of them, they keep repeating that mantra over and over and over again. But, but no amount of wind and solar power is going to make a country energy secure. I mean, it's just not possible. And without the father, it's why Europe's in such a desperation effort right now to build these LNG import facilities and find alternative sources of crude oil. And because that's what 
really provides energy security in the modern world and always has and probably will for the for the foreseeable decades and and it yes i mean the 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 thing about the lng is it's going to go it's a market driven thing from the suppliers and the suppliers are going to supply it to the country that's willing to pay the most for it and right now that's europe but that's not always going to be the case and when that changes then europe's needs are going only going to become more severe and uh no one is actually addressing the elephant in the room, which is how do you displace that LNG with firm indigenous somehow uh, natural gas provided at a reasonable price via pipeline from some supplier other than Russia. And, and, you know, you're pretty limited in what you can do there. Um, but ultimately Europe is going to have to answer that question because you know, LNG is just going to go where the market demands it to go. And, and unless mm. Germany is a great example, unless they're willing to enter into a long term and by long term, I mean, 10 year supply agreement at a very premium price, they're not going to be able to have secure supplies of LNG yeah. that are really adequate. That's right. And that's why they're preparing people for the closure of uh, factories, yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, we have to close businesses so we can, uh, you know, make do with uh, the gas that we do have. Another LinkedIn user, I recently found a group called uh, Shanghai Cooperation Organization. How is different from BRIC or BRICS? I'm not I familiar with this. Uh, I, have I, never I heard think of this it. one's more Asia-focused, including Central Asia and Russia. Uh, there was a meeting of this organization uh, recently. I don't know a lot about it, but uh, I think it's more Asia-focused, uh, unlike BRICS, which is uh, truly global. Uh, and uh, the, the uh, SEO is more regional, but again, uh, with Russia and China and the Central Asian countries there and, and other Asian economies, it might become a factor to, to reckon with eventually. Well, it's trade oriented and it could, uh, this is pure speculation, by the way, uh, you know, how there, there's a shift from using the US dollar in uh, bilateral trade between countries from BRICS and, and regional uh, trade in Asia, uh, and it could uh, reinforce this shift uh, and reduce the weight of the US dollar in uh, international trade uh, with, the, you know, some of the yeah. biggest trading nations in the world for in Asia. Mm -hmm. uh, David, uh, how these leaders of this uh, organization we mentioned before are, uh, let's see, uh, appointed uh, is by friendship? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I mean, the, the International Energy Agency is is a good example. You know, it is a an independent agency, really. It's not really a part of the UN. It has it is a, 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 a group that is or a service that is put uh, sponsored by I don't remember how many countries, but dozens of, of big countries that pay dues and, and select someone to be the leader of it. And, uh, you know, um, 
they've chosen to have Mr. Barrel as as their figurehead, and um, I, you know, there's a democratic, semi-democratic process within the organization in order to choose those leaders, and um, you know, it's just like a trade association. Trade associations don't always make the best choices of people to be their presidents and CEOs. And uh, Mr. Birol, for whatever we think his shortcomings are, is effective at repeating, you know, pushing out the narrative that these countries want him to push out. And at the same time, as, as we both all said, agreed earlier, I think that, you know, the IEA does continue to put together reports that contain useful, actual, real information. That's, yeah. It's it's just has uh, you know a, a very po highly politicized purpose in pushing that information out, and uh, you know at the EU it's the same, essentially a very similar structure. All the member countries have delegates, and they they vote on leadership, and they have a process for determining who that's going to be, and. Um, but, you know, it's no different than, than here in America or in Brazil. You often don't choose really strong leaders. And, um, yeah, that's the same. Yeah. Irina, can you see this uh, question? Uh, yes. Hi, guys. I don't see our leaders making any sensible statements on energy security here in the UK. <laughs> no, and you won't see them anytime soon. Uh, they're still hooked on reducing, eliminating uh, one-tenth of one CO2 molecule. Is water vapor next? It's it's possible, JB. You never know. I mean, we we have to be uh, encouraged to consume less of everything. So who knows what will be next? But uh, yeah, they're not making any sensible statements. It's all energy transition all the way, and more wind and solar, and more hydrogen, and let's not drill anymore uh, for oil and gas in the North Sea, which is given the current situation, the current circumstances of uh, of the UK uh, with regard to energy security, uh, it's unbelievable that new exploration for oil and gas, new production for of oil and gas in the North Sea is still being actively discouraged by politicians. I mean, we're not talking about shale. I mean, shale is totally untapped it will be more expensive and of course there's a lot of opposition but you already produce oil and gas from the north sea just keep on doing it and possibly expand it but no it's but mr Birol, incorrect mr Birol said on may 21 that uh, we need to stop new projects in oil and gas yeah six months later uh, he said there's not enough oil and gas in the world so you should be investing more in new oil and gas yeah. yeah, um that that was a, a pretty pretty quick turnaround there, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, and in, in Great Britain, uh, you know you you had a prime minister for forty five days who wanted to change direction where energy supply is concerned. You did one was, thing right, yeah, right. And she was promptly drummed <laughs> out of right yeah. good. Now she did an awful Only lot one. of things wrong that led to that result. But she, but, uh, yeah, but she did one know, thing right. And yeah. she was just replaced by a guy who, is a member of the conservative party somehow, but uh, is really just another globalist. And uh, and so Great Britain's going to continue to go down the same path it's been on. And and that just means an inevitable economic uh, issue uh, going forward and uh, hopefully not a depression, but probably a pretty significant recession. Yeah. 
as as you know your supplies if you don't have enough natural gas to power your manufacturing industries manufacturing is going to have to shut down in great britain just like it has in germany and some of these other countries and uh, you know it's all pretty obvious uh but no one seems to want to actually say it david can you see this in the screen the new question from grant now? oh gosh how much more dire will the energy crisis become when countries like Colombia halt product oil exploration. Well, I mean, it's going to become much more dire. And, uh, you know, and it's not just in oil and gas. I mean, it's it's also in all these energy minerals that, uh, that the electric vehicles and the wind and solar industry has to have too. These are very finite resources that when you really read the data the IEA publishes, uh, you see uh, future demand growth numbers that are just completely unrealistic and, and are not going to be met by an economy that is actually being intentionally reduced by these Western governments. I mean, I think we all need to recognize that what's happening in Germany is not an accident. It's it's part of a plan to limit and and ultimately reverse economic growth in order to to get to net zero by 2050 when you really listen to what figures like antonio guterres and and all these prophets of of the climate alarm movement say it's all about at the end of the day ending economic growth and ultimately re reversing it mm -hmm. well if you're going to do that you're not going to have not just oil and gas, you're not going to have enough copper or lithium or, or any, oh, of, any of these. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, any of them, you're not going to have enough supply of it to really power a robust energy sector of any kind. And so the second level of the energy, because we need to have a source energy source to right. have this cobalt and lithium to produce right. them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah sure. Right. And you, you know, you can say, well, we can make, uh, we can enhance energy security if we just get the battery technology right. Well, the battery technology, and it doesn't matter which, which technology it is, whether it's vanadium or lithium ion or any of these other technologies, they all have to have massively, incredibly rapidly rising supplies of these energy minerals. And, yeah, and without a robust economy, you're not going to have that. So. Yeah. That's right. But I'd like to see Colombia stop uh, oil exploration and production first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> New bit. Uh... Well, banning exports in the U.S., I guess all exports in the U.S. lower the price in the U.S. or increase prices. Well, it'll increase prices because... Oh, gosh, uh, because we don't have enough refining capacity for light, sweet crude oil being produced out of the shale clays, uh, the Permian Basin, the Eagle the market. And, and if you can't export two to three million barrels a day of that crude oil, then it's going to simply be shut in. And if you shut in two to three million barrels a day of production, the price of crude oil on the global market is going to skyrocket and gas prices will skyrocket with it. That's my 50-word answer to Stu's question. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Excellent. Um, so 35 minutes. It's, it's good for us. This oh, my gosh. Quite, yeah. quite a discussion we had. Time flies. Yeah. Yeah. I have it's a proposal so for you to, to see if my, my phrase is good. We need to pray to uh, 
Ursula's uh, bureaus, Gutierrez, to have success because they they are our let's see uh, people that drive our our new uh, next steps in terms of energy. Yeah, yeah, we need to pray for them to have uh, 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 intellectual revelations in their brains to realize their oh, own. Oh, that they doomed. <laughs> Yeah, we can hope. We can hope. We can hope. Why we can not? always hope. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. I, I wish we had better things to say. <laughs> yeah, next next time. Maybe Let's as Idina hope. suggested, a COP27 the next week. COP27. Yeah, oh, that'll There's be fun. So many news. That will be fun. Yeah. Bye-bye. <laughs> Have a good Bye. day. Good week. Have a great week. Thank Bye. you, you too. Bye-bye.